A lot of people were uh, upset that John Cena took the shellacking he did at the hands of the conqueror, Brock Lesnar. Was he victimized too much? No. I'm going to be very interested in seeing, hearing his next promo, which will be the day after. The, the show will drop the day after. Yes. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward uh, to hearing that promo. Um, John Cena has always come back from adversity, and he's, uh, he's won and lost the WWE title 15 times. But he's been beaten 14 times for the title. He's never been victimized. He's never been conquered. Um, he's, uh, you know, he, he's, um, he, he, Brock Lesnar made John Cena his prison bitch. And I don't think any top star, certainly, and you're a much different character than John Cena. Right. Far different persona, you know. Um, I, I don't recall anybody bitch-slapping Stone Cold Steve Austin around the ring for 15 minutes. I don't recall anybody bitch-slapping The Rock around the ring for 15 minutes. I don't recall anybody ever bitch-slapping DX around the ring. Sting, um, The Undertaker, you know, there have been flash victories, you know, I, which is why I thought that F5 in 30 seconds was so interesting because people believed it was going to happen. Right. Now, could, with the right opponent, if a Brock Lesnar was around in your heyday and we wanted to make the monster Brock Lesnar and build to a Wrestlemania return or Wrestlemania rubber match and if it was a SummerSlam back in 97, 98 and the, and, and the cards were right and the stars were aligned I could see Brock Lesnar snatching a Steve Austin or snatching a Dwayne Johnson and winning in 30 seconds and people say oh my god I've never seen that a flash victory and Stone Cold Steve Austin coming out on TV and saying hey in the advent of UFC sometimes you get caught on the chin and this happened to me. But a 15-minute torture? A 15-minute beatdown with Brock Lesnar dancing and laugh, laughing, mocking John Cena. Um, I think for those who hate John Cena, this was exactly what they wanted to see. The complete humanization of Super Cena. And for those who love John Cena, I, think they're very, I don't think they lost any faith in John. As a matter of fact, I think... They are praying and hoping that their hero isn't a martyr, that he does come back from this. How do you look in the face of the beast now and still keep your dignity? How does hustle, loyalty, and respect play out when it has been literally shoved up your tuchus? And for those who love and, 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 and admire John Cena, he's never faced this type of adversity before. And if you think about it, and I, and I didn't in advance, so I can't take credit for this. But it's the Dark Knight Rises. Batman got beat down, took his best shot at Bane, and Bane just laughed him off, snapped his back, took his mask, threw him in a hole, and left him to die. And that's what we've done to John Cena. And now he has to climb out of that hole and put his Batman costume back on. Everything that has been put in front of Brock Lesnar, I conquer, I defeat, I win when I have to win. Since the last time Brock Lesnar came face to face with John Cena, Brock Lesnar has broken Triple H's arm, broken Triple H's other arm, broken Shawn Michaels' arm, and he's retired, took on the world's strongest man and punked him out, took on the world's largest athlete and cut him down to size. 
and then went head up against the greatest undefeated streak in the history of this industry and showed that they all fall down at the feet of the conqueror Brock Lesnar. But the thing is, I knew I was going to beat The Undertaker. Everybody knew I was going to beat The Undertaker. They just didn't want to believe it. For God's sakes, why wouldn't Brock Lesnar be able to beat The Undertaker? Because he's some mythical god? It's not rocket science, people. Why wouldn't Brock Lesnar be able to beat The Undertaker? Why can't Brock Lesnar beat John Cena at SummerSlam? Cena's on the top of the ladder! Cena for the championship! John Cena is a 15-time WWE World Heavyweight Champion! You're gonna ask probably a lot of questions about a lot of accomplishments I've, I've had. I would much rather not talk about myself, my successes. That's... I'm very fortunate to be where I'm at. But I think the reason why I am where I'm at is because I don't do anything but look forward. I see what's in front of me. That's it. This Sunday, there will be pain punishment. This Sunday, Brock Lesnar will give me the beating of a lifetime. This Sunday, there is one thing that Brock Lesnar will not do. Win. Brock, I'm not going to lay down for you. You know why? Because you don't deserve this. I'm going to rip John Cena limb from limb. And it's going to be, it's going to be ugly, people. If you're a fan of John Cena, don't miss SummerSlam. Because when John Cena comes out here and says, you can't see me, he ain't lying. Because after this Sunday, when Brock Lesnar is through with John Cena, you ain't gonna see John Cena around here anymore. He is big, he is strong, but what separates me from him, Jack, is heart. He may beat the hell out of me, but he's gonna have to beat every last breath out of this body. SummerSlam, I conquer the conqueror. I am the one that beats the one. But SummerSlam, the champ is here! I'm gonna rip John Cena apart at SummerSlam. I'm gonna leave him in a pile of blood and urine and vomit. Welcome back to another episode of the New Blood Rising podcast, Perfect Tens. I'm William Rankin, and thank you for coming back to uh, another episode of this uh, series that we're doing. As I explained uh, previously, we're doing these shows as a way to kind of bridge the gap of content between what our last show was, Super Brawl 2, to what's going to be Wrestle, Wrestle War 92. Life, I've said it many times on the show, life happens and sometimes it creates a gap in between shows and with this gap being a little more extended than I think we liked, we wanted to be able to create something to be able to put on here that is wrestling related that would be something kind of fun, a little bit different, something that's a bit interactive and could hopefully get some, you know, create some feedback, you know, sort of a good back and forth with what you guys think about what we consider to be perfect matches. So 
the last time you guys heard from me, I had done, from 1991, it was SummerSlam, it was Bret the Hitman Hart taking on the Intercontinental Champion, Mr. Perfect, in a match that was career-defining for Bret Hart. Sticking with the SummerSlam theme, my next installment of a Perfect 10 match is in the year 2014, it takes place in Los Angeles, it is SummerSlam 2014, where the main event pitted World, I believe it was, this was the WWE World Heavyweight Champion, I think is what it was being specifically called, John Cena defending his title against Brock Lesnar. So let's get into this. To really start with this, we gotta start first with Lesnar. Lesnar, and we don't even need to talk about like the beginning part of his career, because it's pretty well defined about his, his run from, you know, 02 through 04. When he comes back, though, it's a huge deal in 2012. It's the night after WrestleMania 28. It's him having a moment with John Cena where he F5s him and sets up his first feud there, which you can say a lot about it, but and I think I'll come back to it in a little bit. But Lesnar came back with a tremendous amount of hype, a tremendous uh, tremendous push, really, quite, free, quite honestly. It felt a little weird in the beginning because... Once he comes back, his first feud is with Cena, and he loses, which was weird because Lesnar's coming back with all this UFC cred, all this, like, you know, real fighting credentials now, and to have him job to Cena in that Extreme Rules match, it's really like the, I love that show so much, that Extreme Rules 2012 is so good, except for that finish. Having Cena go over like that, I think was really, like, it, it was a blemish on the show. Well, you, you fast forward, you know, you know, you fast forward to 2014 and, and Lesnar's run is very interesting. Like 20, 2012 has him still continuing, you know, he, he has the few at Triple H, they come back, they do another match at WrestleMania. Those matches are, well, the SummerSlam one was okay. Um, the WrestleMania one is very forgettable. They have that steel cage match to follow it up, which is fine. Again, nothing spectacular, but then it becomes like, all right. What are, what are we going to do with Lesnar? Like, what is the plan with Brock Lesnar? And I'm saying we from the perspective of WWE. What what are we going to do with him? Well, he has that awesome match with CM Punk. We know in um, at SummerSlam in 2013, it's a very good match. Probably like the one of the last great CM Punk matches before he would exit. But then 2014 becomes a very very critical year because it feels like Lesnar is reintroduced in a way. In the Royal Rumble, he takes on the Big Show and just destroys him. Like, it is a beating. He just, I mean, and and by this point, 2014 Big Show, it's not like this, I I don't know if it's this major badge of honor or badge, like this this, uh, award that you're presented like by beating up the Big Show. It's just not what it once was. But still, the way they did it looked very, very, whoa. All right, we're doing something new with Lesnar. Because it is, it's like a hundred chair shots. He goes to Chair Shot City. <laughs> but um, WrestleMania is where it gets interesting because the buildup, you have Brock Lesnar taking on The Undertaker. Taker's got the streak. Taker is in, um, he's coming off WrestleMania, thir- or WrestleMania, um, uh, sorry, WrestleMania 29, which was a great match with CM Punk. But it's really like, how many more of these does he have left in him? And What's hilarious is the build the build of WrestleMania 30 is exactly is, is a typical 
Undertaker build for the last 10 years or so because it's all built around, I'm going to beat the streak. No, you're not. That's really about it. That's really all there is to it. Of course, there's a little bit more of a thematic element that's involved throughout it, but the WrestleMania match, like, we've heard us discuss. We did it during Season 4, and we talked about The Undertaker. It's all about the finish, the shocking finish. Lesnar beats The Undertaker in just a moment that just stuns. And for the most part, with the exception of Daniel Bryan winning the title, we'll more on that in a little bit, it just kills that WrestleMania. <laughs> It is just a WWE universe-shattering moment. And, uh, you know, when you when you look back on it, and there's a lot said, did Lesnar deserve it? Was he the right guy? The reality was, they did it. And it's done, it's done. There's no going back, there's no taking it back, there's no hitting reset on the console to go do the match again. Undertaker's lost, Lesnar's the one who did it. So it became critical. What are you going to do with him? So now it's important to talk about John Cena, and you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go through the whole guy's career here, but what's really important is just to look at the snapshot of John Cena in this time period, from really around 09, 2010 up till now. There is a serious amount of Cena fatigue that's going on. And what I mean by that is, by this point, like it, the, the chance of let's go Cena, Cena sucks, are so predominant. There's the phrase, he's the most polarizing guy in the WWE, he's the most controversial star in the WWE. Like, reality is, like he, he has this weird split of the crowd where half the crowd, which is an older demographic, can't stand him, while the younger crowd, the other half, you know, loves him and cheers for him. But it was really... Uh, it, it. I think now is where you have to talk about Daniel Bryan, because... The whole build for WrestleMania 30 was Daniel Bryan, Daniel Bryan, Daniel Bryan. He's got to get the belt, and he does, and it's awesome. And then he gets hurt, and then he has to relinquish the title because he has to retire. And it is just, or he doesn't have to retire, I'm sorry. That's not until a year later. But he has to give up the belt because he's hurt, and he's gone. And it's like, whoa, what happened? Because it really felt like, I mean, after Daniel Bryan's win, SummerSlam was, a, it was there was a myriad of possibilities. You could have done Daniel Bryan versus Brock Lesnar. You could have done Daniel Bryan Batista if they had kept Batista around. You you could have done Daniel Bryan John Cena, and in a role reversal where the year before Cena was the or Cena was the champ. Now you have Daniel Bryan as the champ. You could have done a, a few different really cool things, but when Daniel Bryan gets hurt, it changes things completely. John Cena ends up winning the titles at Money in the Bank, which. I think we all kind of saw coming, even though we didn't want to believe it was going to happen. And after that, it was just like, here we go again. Because it felt like for the last few years, every time they would put the belt on somebody, it would just eventually just come back to Cena. And it was like, God dang it. Can't we just get beyond this guy? And that's why I think Cena fatigue is is very apt for this year, during this time period. So where does this put us? So to... To have a really mega event, because here's the thing: like WWE is 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 very conscious of SummerSlam being a mega event. Like it's only a few months after after WrestleMania, but they put it on a similar level. It's not the same level, clearly. The spectacle for SummerSlam is not WrestleMania, but it is viewed as still a very very. It's a big show for them, so you need a big main event. 
but made sense because there's really not a lot that Brock does after Mania. Not really. Like, he's just kind of in the background of things. And there's a lot of Heyman having to keep him really relevant on the shows, despite people's opinions over him beating the streak. But it becomes the necessary main event. It's Brock Lesnar versus John Cena in August of 2014. So, the match itself. Like, do we really need to talk about the build? I guess part of the build is this, you know, you got Cena against the corporation or the authority, so to speak, and that's always kind of weak. It's never really worked with Cena, and it doesn't work with everybody, as we've seen with uh, feuds like with Roman Reigns. Like, it just, it, it's an awkward fit. It just doesn't seem like it's it's a true fit. Why? Because John Cena kind of is the authority in a weird sense. Like, he is the authority of WWE. Like, it's it always comes back to him. Vince McMahon's called him the Babe Ruth. He's used that phrase a lot with people over the years, but he's been the most recent one. So the build really was like, oh, Lesnar's this big bully from UFC. He's just this arrogant guy. Cena's your underdog champion, the guy who's always been there. So here we go with this. And I mean, like, I want to start first with when you see Lesnar make his way to the ring. Like, when they say he's in his best shape, they may not be far off. Like, the way Lesnar takes care of himself in 14, like, you can see, like, it, when he came back in 2012, you could see he was still kind of getting back into shape. But he really is, like, he's, he was never going to be 04 shape or 03, 02, that era. But, man, he looks great coming into this match. The Cena walk to the ring, and I'm going to reference Charlie a little bit on this show because we always have our Cena jokes. We always laugh at the Cena-isms that there are. Like, one of them is always, when it's a big match, like his series just kind of strut to the ring. Now, when you look at these two guys come to the ring, one guy looks like a real fighter. The other guy wears a bunch of sweatbands on his arms, and he just walks with these belts clipped together, hanging around his neck with a towel and this pouty look on his face, walking to the ring. It just looks really phony. <laughs> and when they get in the ring, the, when this thing gets underway, you know, it starts off in a really perfect way. Cena is trying to get after Lesnar early. But then Brock just lays the whipping down on him. Like, clubbing shots. Well, actually, no. No, no, no. Hold on. Cena goes for a fury in the corner. Lesnar just scoops him up and F5s him. Whoa. Right off the bat. Goes for a pin, gets a two count. Which, you know, could probably bother some because it's like, oh, you're burying a finish. Well, it is early in the match. It's not like that should really beat him, although that would have been incredible. I love the look on Lesnar's face because he kind of smiles. And he smiles at Heyman, and Heyman kind of smiles like, uh-oh. Like, well, we're just having some fun. You know, this is going to be fun. That's all right, he kicked out. I want to enjoy myself. And he does. Because from that point on, for at least this the, this kind of... that's If you're going to divide this match up into three parts, the first part really is the Fury and the F5. It's like, oh gosh, that happened. And for that, from that point till about... I, I mean, minutes go on where John Cena's just on the receiving end of what will be a, just a relentless amount of clubbing shots, German suplexes, vertical suplexes, any type of suplex Lesnar can do, he does. And it's, the, the crowd, the crowd starts off like really hot. Like they, of course they, the majority of them want Lesnar to do this. They want Lesnar to, to take it to Cena. It does fall into this weird kind of malaise in the middle. And even though malaise sometimes has a negative connotation,
actually works very well in the match, I think. I think how it gets slowed down and very methodical and how Lesnar's almost toying with him is exactly what it should be. You know, too many times, you know, and, and I'm not going to get critical of the current product of today. I, I'm, my feelings on it are, like, it, it's not necessarily the kind of uh, the kind of wrestling I'm, I'm used to enjoying. I understand a lot of people enjoy it. Cool, right on. I enjoy this slow, methodical, makes sense type of match where it's like, okay, I'm going to slowly just beat you and beat you down until there's nothing left of you. And I'm going to enjoy doing it because I'm the heel. And the reason um, uh, wrestling fans, you know, wrestling fans are altogether awesome and awful at the same time. And I think all of you listening can find examples on your own of this. My examples from this match are they are loving this beatdown in the beginning, and then somewhere in the middle, you start to hear the, uh, you start to hear these boring chants, and I'm like, are you serious? L- look, because I, I know kids aren't gonna chant, or aren't gonna chant boring. These are just, these are adults who I'm like, I swear you're half the crowd. You were part of that half that was chanting Cena sucks earlier in the match. You're gonna have the nerve to do this. And it's like, look, you guys have wanted to see Cena eat it for years. This is it. This is when he's going to, in the most spectacular way possible. Just sit back and enjoy it, because this is unlike any other main event we've ever seen, where it is a squash. is basically a squash. Now, I will admit, I don't think it was as much a squash as I thought it was before I revisited it. Cena definitely has like two more major flurries, one where he actually hits uh, a couple of eh, kind of signatures. Mostly they are just a couple quick setups to an an AA that he hits that gets a two count. He gets another SDFU a little bit later, or, or I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, uh, he gets his SDFU in there. I forgot that he changed that too. I think he did. I think it was just called the STF because they tried to get away. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he didn't do the FU anymore. He did the AA and it was the STF versus the SDFU. I think whatever, but he gets that on Lesnar and then Lesnar gets out of it, but still he has a couple of hope spots really. But for the most part, it's then just Lesnar enjoying. And he de- this is this is the the prequel to Suplex City because that's not a phrase yet that we won't hear for uh, we won't hear until 2015. But it's really like truly born here with just the amount of suplexes that Cena takes, and they really are like they're brutal looking. Like what I love about a Lesnar German suplex is it doesn't look like it doesn't look like a wrestling move. It looks like a guy fighting. Like he's he's deadlifting every one of these guys. You know, I think Cena helps him out in the beginning with it, but I think by the end of it, like, it's mostly Lesnar's strength that's getting the move over. But I want to talk about the commentary, too, because it's... Modern WWE commentary definitely deserves a lot of criticism. I give them some credit because it's a different... It is definitely a different type of product that they have to market. There's a lot of things that they have to plug and sneak into match commentary, so that's hard. What I don't like, though, is the stance they take during these types of matches where all of a sudden it becomes, as again, Charlie and I joke about, it's the Owen Hart voice. I hate to call it that, but it really is. Like, ever since the Owen Hart tragedy, like, any time the like, commentators try to, like, they try to duplicate how Jim Ross and Lawler, who's actually doing commentary for this match, handled it, and that's that really kind of solemn, um, that solemn type of voice, which was fitting, like, an unbelievable tragedy just happened. What I always hated was when they tried to bring it into kayfabe, and it was just like, oh, come on. And the way they, <laughs> the way JBL and Lawler, 
they bring it out here for Cena is hilarious. Like it's just like they're acting like the like it's this the a death this death in the family that we're witnessing. When I'm I'm sorry, we've seen John Cena lose the title before. Okay, that's what happens when you're a 16 time champion. Is you've lost it 15 times. Okay, so you know let's let's not let's not act like this is the end of the world here. But it truly is like. I always, Jerry Lawler became the biggest John Cena fan during matches. And you'll hear him go, oh, you can't give up on the champ yet. I'll never give up on John Cena. John Cena always rises to the occasion. And I give Lawler credit because he's working. He is definitely working the crowd. I may not like the way he's necessarily working it, but I do have to give him credit because he, he, for his, it's so ironic because the moment he says that, Lesnar just unleashes another fury of something on him. This is the match where we get that signature, like, Brock Lesnar laugh with the tongue coming out of his mouth. I think he does it after, it's this awesome moment, it's after Cena hits the AA, and it's this near count. And again, if Michael Cole tells you it's the end of a match, it's never the end of a match. <laughs> so he gives it away again during that two count. But Cena rolls over to the corner, he's got that look on his face like, oh, I just dumb myself, oh my god. Oh, oh too many burritos, CeCe's Pizza. And Lesnar just looks at him, and he starts laughing, and it's awesome. It's really, really good. And it just sets up this this really great finish where you know Lesnar powers out of that that um, that STF F fives him just one time. He doesn't do it any like like multiple t- doesn't do it any other time afterward. He just does it one time, covers him one two three, and it really is like this. This great catharsis for the crowd. The crowd is like, yes, we've got it. I'm going to go back to the catharsis in a minute, but I want to talk about, like, um, where I was talking about the match definitely slows down. It slows down to that middle portion, and it's like, it harkens back to what Heyman said. He's going to victimize John Cena, and that's exactly what he does. He victimizes him throughout this match. And what's good, what's good in the, what's the greatest way a match can go such an awkward way to phrase it. You say the best way a match can go is when the pacing shifts. It has moments where it's it's really fast. It has some some high spots, and then it slows down. And it's not even necessarily rest spots slow down, but it just slows down. The pace slows down. What I like here is that very simply, when le- in between the Lesnar suplexes, it's methodical. He's stalking John Cena around the ring. And then all of a sudden it picks up because Cena has a fury. Boom, 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 boom. Then it slows down again. And the way they do that is to me so, so beautiful. It's so beautifully simple that it feels lost so, so many times. It does still happen in matches today. This was only five years ago, but I know it's, it doesn't, you don't always get the sense of it today, but it still definitely happens. And when it does, it really feels like you got guys who know what they're doing. They're knowing how to tell a story in the ring. So, let's talk about, let's talk about the aftermath of this. And this is where, like, alright, I'm going to bring this in, and I know it doesn't necessarily connect, but I remember writing about this back in 14, and I think, I think it still does connect to some degree. I don't think you can talk about August of 2014 without talking about what happened in Ferguson, Missouri. Now, I'm not going to get into the details of what happened. We all know about the Michael Brown shooting. But I remember thinking about Ferguson, and I was thinking about just kind of the anger towards authority. I was thinking about that when I watched SummerSlam. And John Cena almost becomes like this this, <laughs> this avatar that's like, we got to 
what are we going to take our uh, what are we going to take out our anger on? And it was ended up being John Cena, and that's why Lesnar's like just beating of him was this catharsis. It was like, yeah, like it 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 felt good to channel that in this weird way. And it's not like it, it helps solve any problems or anything like that, but it's sort of like when I think about it, like when you have a bad day and you come home, and if you play video games, like I remember, I just plug in Grand Theft Auto and just go to work. You know, you just jump in a car and just you know start mowing down people which doesn't seem constructive at all, but it was a way to kind of vent and air yourself out. And I just remember thinking about Ferguson in that moment, and it was just like, it, in this weird way, in this sadistic way, it felt good to see John Cena just get destroyed, and to see just the the authority figure. And I know I come back to that, and people are like, but no, he's not the authority, Triple H. And so I'm not thinking kayfabe authority, but like, the guy the establishment of WWE get wrecked a little bit and get reset by something else. So I just wanted to bring that up. And again, like the, your politics on the issue are what they are. I'm, I'm not getting into that here, but I do think it's, it's important to at least acknowledge that event was happening and that there was definitely a mindset that, that people had, you know, regardless, Regardless, again, of what your politics are, like, it was something that we were all taking in at the time. Alright, I want to talk about the next night on Raw, because this is part of the aftermath. This is another thing, this is another Cena-ism that Charlie and I joke about. It's sad John Cena. Anytime John Cena would lose a big match, he'd come out the next night, and it would just sort of like be, I don't know what I'm going to do. Or, instead of instead of doing the, I don't know what I'm going to do, it'd be like, well, I'm just going to pick myself up and just keep moving forward. Which, I get, I understand. At the same time, though, like, it was always, like, I wanted to see losses affect John Cena, not just in one promo, but, like, going forward. Like, where he's got to really assess and pick himself back up, you know? Like, heck, we get an entire Rocky movie where Rocky's, like, basically, like, questioning himself after getting beaten by Clever Lang. You know, that's what I always felt was missing from the John Cena mythos, was that time where he gets upended and he has to really come back. And it doesn't happen here because... He goes away, and you feel like he's really going to be gone for some period of time. No. John Cena is right back at Night of Champions, getting to wrestle Brock Lesnar for the belt. And it's like, what are we doing? Because this just feels like we're, we're not... Well, I'll tell you what it felt like it was going to do. It felt like it was going to unravel everything, because it was like, oh, well... Cena's gonna get he's gonna get his win back because of the 50-50 booking that was prevalent during this time period and so to agree is prevalent today. But I think it's also if we're gonna talk about Cena fatigue during during that period of time of uh, you know 2010 to 2014, I think it's important to talk about Brock fatigue now. Brock Lesnar is after that this run of uh, let's say that starting with the CM Punk match 2013, pretty much through. WrestleMania 15. Now, you know what? We can continue it on in the summer because when he has the, the comeback or the the secondary feud with Taker that pops up, that's a, that's probably the best Brock Lesnar that we're, that we're going to get because after that, after 2015, I feel like we started to get into Lesnar fatigue where it was like, what are we doing with this guy? He ends up getting the Universal title and he holds the Universal title for feels like forever. He has the Roman matches that aren't spectacular. Even though he w- 
wins, he wins one, Roman gets it back. It it always felt like there was they ran out of ideas to do with them. And maybe it's because they were trapped by money, contract, all that, but we don't see we don't see Lesnar on TV consistently. It it really begins to anger people like why is the champion not on TV defending the belt? You can tell people backstage are frustrated by it. And it just gets to a point where it's like, well, who's going to eventually take this off of him? You know, he has a match with Samoa Joe. He has a match with Braun Strowman. But none of those guys take the belt off of him. You see him wrestle Daniel Bryan at a champion versus champion. Well, I don't know if it was champion versus... No, it wasn't champion versus champion, but it was during Survivor Series. That was, uh, in fact, that was uh, last year. And that didn't go anywhere. And then finally we had Rollins beat him in the opening match of WrestleMania. And what really was like a... Not, it was a fu- it was a fine match. It was it was good. It was decent. It was a good opener. And now it's like okay, they're gonna sh- they're gonna shuffle him out there for the Saudi Arabia show, and it's just sort of like, what's left to do with this guy? Like I almost wish he would he would retire from wrestling because I just don't know what else you can do with him. You know, I'll give him credit for the Goldberg match. The Goldberg match was awesome at WrestleMania. It's an all time great squash match. Like I'm not. Is that a perfect 10? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I need to go back and revisit it. But it's another good kind of squash match that we've got on there and everything. So, um, I don't know. I, I, th- I go back and forth with the Brock fatigue, but I think overall, I think it's come to a point where we're just kind of done. We're kind of done with the Lesnar thing because I just don't think there's anything else. The only other story to tell is Paul Heyman turning on him, which... I think we've waited for for years. I think we thought Roman was going to do it. That didn't happen. I don't know. I don't know what's left with. I just know that it's definitely not the same when Lesnar gets in the ring now. Like it's this SummerSlam match is about as special as it got with him. But that's about it on on this front. Um, thank you guys for hitting the download on this and uh, continuing to subscribe, rate, and review for the New Blood Rising podcast. We will see. I'm not sure if we'll have another one of these before Russell Me or before Russell War 92. But if we do, you know, you'll see it pop up on social media. In the meantime, please hit us up at New Blood Pod on Twitter, New Blood Rising Podcast on Facebook. Let us know what you think. Let us know your thoughts on Lesnar Cena from SummerSlam 2014. And we will catch you all next time. Thank you all again. Come down off your throne.